Father, indeed, we surrender all to you. Or at least that's what we want to do. But if we're honest, we know it's hard to surrender all of ourselves, not only to you, but to those to whom you call us to love and to give and to serve. So, Lord, we would ask for your Spirit's help this morning, that you would fill us and that you would teach us, Lord, about what surrendering to you and to others really looks like and how you might animate this practice in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to start this morning by saying, how are you? Fine. It's an inside joke if you weren't here last week. Are you fine or are you good? Last Sunday, we started this this mini-series on the relational practice of submission from Ephesians 5 and 6. So the Apostle Paul, having explained this amazing gospel of Christ in chapters 1, 2, and 3, now begins to apply that gospel to relationships. He's going to show us what gospel-filled relationships look like. And surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly if we know the gospel, it all revolves around this practice of submission. Last Sunday, we considered the relationship between authority and submission, And I suggested that if we misunderstand authority, then we'll misunderstand submission, and sometimes in very destructive ways. And so it's critical that we have the right understanding of authority. And to do that, we need to understand not just what we see in the world and how they depict authority, but but God's plan, especially God's plan in the beginning for authority. And I I, I talked about last week how how his manifestation, his establishment of authority, his own in lots of these different ways, that it was for this purpose to protect and to promote shalom. And shalom, if you're not familiar with the word, it's Hebrew for peace, but it means a lot more than just the absence of conflict. It's really about wholeness and, and well-being and flourishing of life in all the different parts of life. And so that's what authority is for from God, is to protect that shalom and to promote it. If you weren't here last week, I would strongly urge you to go back and listen to it. And I, I sometimes say that, but I really mean it this time because there's, there's sort of a, a, a foundation being built. And if, and if you don't understand authority, then you're really going to misapply what he's going to say in Ephesians 5 and 6 about submission. It should be on our website, so you can go and listen to it there. Well, in the weeks to come, he's going to apply If you've read ahead, you know this, submission to marriage and to family, particularly between children and parents, and then to economic relationships. But today I want to sort of do part two of the introduction to submission and look at Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 21. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Just to give an overview of the day, we're going to look at the the power of submission, the freedom of submission, the limitations of submission, and then this idea of mutual submission. Power, freedom, limitations, and mutual submission. Let me first begin, however, by just offering a definition for it. Now, this is a little bit tricky, because as I talked about last week, submission kind of looks differently in different relationships. Paul is going to use the actual word submit a few times, but then he's also going to use other words like love and respect 
and obedience. But they all point to the same reality of gospel-filled relationships. And I think they all fill out the meaning of submission. But nonetheless, let me offer this shorthand definition of submission that I think can apply whatever the type of relationship. Submission is coming under another for their good. Coming under another for their good. So when you submit to someone else, you start by humbling yourself, and then you come under someone else in order to lift them up to the good, in order to help them be the, all that God has called them to be. So apply this in, in marriage, between the husband and wife, coming under each other to lift each other up. Apply it in a family, children and parents. Apply it in a workplace or with friendships or neighbors or even with strangers. I love what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. If you really want to get inside the inner workings of submission and authority, that's a great chapter to read over. But Philippians chapter 2, this, this comment he makes, again, fills out this, what does it look like to come under someone for their good? He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So what is submission? To come under another for their good. What does that look like? It looks like to count other people more significant than yourselves. And to be looking out for their interest, not just your own. So, maybe that's a helpful definition to, to fill out this practice. But it's not very easy to do, is it? Some of us are more naturally selfless than others. But I think every human being has a difficult time putting their agenda aside and to really come under someone else for their good. Our natural tendency is to look out for number one. It's our default response. We tend to spend our time, our energy, our money, whatever it is, in ways that serve us, that benefit our own good, that lift us up. It's really hard to switch our mindset in order to practice this submission. In fact, it's so hard, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's impossible. On your own, you will fail you won't be able to submit to others. You might do it for a little while, but eventually you'll get tired, you'll get resentful, and you'll feel taken advantage of. And so it's really quite difficult to make a lifestyle of this practice of submission. Now, left to our own devices, that would be discouraging. But for the Christian, there is profound hope. And to get that hope, we must understand the power for submission. Paul's going to tell us about it. So, in Ephesians 5, verses 15 and following, Eric covered some of this a few weeks back. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Talks about making the best use of time, knowing what the Lord's will is. That's 15, 16, 17. And then, chapter 5, verse 18, uh, Paul writes this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the command of this text. It's also in the present tense, which means to, to kind of go on being filled with the Spirit. I like how uh, the, the English pastor, Nicky Gumbel, creator of the Alpha Course, or at least the, the promoter of the Alpha Course, he likes to say that we, we Christians, we leak, don't we? we? We leak the Holy Spirit. 
And so we need to go on being, being filled up again and again and again. So being filled with the Spirit, that's the command of this passage. But from there, verses 19 through 21, Paul is going to give us these descriptions, what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So Spirit-filled people like to sing. It comes out of them. They sing a lot. That's why we sing so much when we gather together as Christians. And then verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So spirit-filled people are grateful. They're still able to lament. They're still able to recognize pain and suffering in their lives and in the world, but they always are in this habit of giving thanks for everything, even for the hard things. Because spirit-filled people know that it's in everything that God the Father is present and that he's working everything for good. So spirit-filled people, they sing, they give thanks, and then we come to verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Friends, this is not a separate command. It's actually a description of the one command of being filled with the Spirit. And that's critical to understand. If you just make it a separate command, you're going to go, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to start submitting. Well, you won't. You will fail. You have to be filled with the Spirit. That's the power source. Spirit-filled people are those who are able to submit to one another. They're able to constantly come under another for their good, to lift them up. It's just what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. So that's the power source. It's, it's being filled by the Spirit, not, not once, but over and over and over again. Can I just ask you, when's the last time you, you were aware that you were being filled up with the Spirit? Or did you just think that was a Pentecostal thing? No, it's an Anglican thing and a Presbyterian thing and a Methodist thing and a Christian thing. Because it's right here. He's telling us. It's a command. Go on. Being filled with the Spirit. So when's the last time you receive the encouragement, the blessing, the love of God the Holy Spirit in your heart, your body, your life? When's the last time you experienced Romans 5, that the, the love of God was poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us? Is your heart starving for that? Because you can be filled with the Spirit today. Filled up again. It's not a conversion. It's, it's a refilling. Jesus says that the Father loves to do this. He loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it. So hopefully right now, even as we just come into worship and prayer and praise and word and sacrament, that we're being filled because it's not always a loud, showy thing, right? A lot of times it's quiet. A lot of times you'll just walk out of here and you'll say, hey, I'm lifted up. I'm encouraged. I didn't even realize it was happening. But, but sometimes it does need to come in a flood. And so if, if you need that today, friends, don't, don't walk out of here and, and be limping. Go and, and see our intercessors or just ask somebody next to you, your spouse, to say, would you just pray for me? Would you just pray that the Spirit of God would fill me up again? It's not just about submission. It's about all of the Christian life, and you know this. It's about the fruits of the Spirit and abiding. It's not possible without the Spirit. So that's the power source, being filled up. I like how Paul contrasts the filling of the Spirit with drunkenness, right? Because people who are heavily under the influence of alcohol, 
have lower inhibitions. They have this courage, this, this boldness to do things they wouldn't normally do, not things that we normally would say are good to do. But something true, although the opposite is true of the filling of the Spirit. When you're under the influence of the Spirit, you also have lower inhibitions. You are not as inhibited from serving others. You have the courage, the boldness to go and to lay your life down to come under somebody else. So first, the power source, but second, I want to look at the freedom of submission. Again, there's some foundations last week you need to go back and review for freedom, relationship to authority. But gospel submission, spirit-filled submission is not about slavery. It is actually about freedom. And one of the key things to understand about submission is that it's voluntary. It's voluntary. It's a freely chosen practice. Notice that when Paul teaches this practice, he doesn't say, hey, make sure others are submitting to you or force others into subjection. Rather, he speaks to each party and he says, submit yourselves. And it's actually quite significant that he speaks to wives, that he speaks to children, and that he speaks to slaves. He gives them the moral dignity in their time and culture to say, hey, you're a free moral agent now in Christ. And so you can do for Jesus what no one else would, they would just expect you to do. They'd say, of course you're going to submit. And now Paul is treating them with this incredible dignity. He's saying you can choose this to submit to someone. But it applies to all of us. There's this, there's this voluntary freedom about it. It's not something we're forced into begrudgingly. Well, how do we know that? Well, look at the list that it comes in. Singing, giving thanks, and submitting. That's the spirit of it. Free and joyful. We get to choose it. One of the ways to understand this is what Paul will say in verse 21 and verse 22 and other places, he, he constantly references Christ when he talks about submission. So he says, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So here's the key question. When you're practicing submission of any type of relationship, who are you ultimately submitting to? You can answer Yeah, it's one of those Sunday school answers. It's Jesus. That's actually the right answer. You ultimately are submitting to Jesus. If we remember that, it will change our attitude about submission. Because when we're submitting to Jesus, it it changes the whole game. All of a sudden, we can remember that we are submitting to our loving Lord, to our providing Lord, to our protecting Lord. And he'll take care of our needs. He'll take care of our, our personal worth and value. Because we do have real needs, right? We have things that that need to be met in our lives. And I think sometimes it's worrying about those things that keeps us from serving somebody else. We're focused on on meeting those needs, caring for ourselves in some way. And so how can I go and, and submit to someone else? But in relationship with Christ, we actually can let go of taking care of ourselves because we know that, as Psalm 23 said, I shall not want. He'll take care of me. He'll lead me. He'll guide me. He'll provide for me. That's freedom. That's freedom. Letting go of of controlling, of always looking out for ourselves, trusting Jesus with that, and then serving others. So let's just give a real example. I struggle with time. 
I used to be a scheduler for a congressman. I wonder if that's where it started. I often feel like there's not enough time, and I want more time for myself to do things that please me, rejuvenate me, things that, that are on my list to get done. So I can be very controlling with time, constantly trying to to use it to benefit me. So where the Lord's working with me in submission is actually to lay that down, to lay down time and to come under others in order to lift them up and to serve them. But I still have needs, right, to to be refreshed, to be restored, to, to get things done on my list. We all have those needs. But I've watched something really amazing happen. When I stop trying to control everything and I just trust Jesus with time, I've watched him do something, kind of like a multiplication. He can do more with 10 minutes than I could do with 10 days. He could rest me more in in five minutes than I could on a a 15-day personal retreat where I can all of a sudden find myself incredibly productive when I didn't expect to be. Not only that, a lot of times it's as you go out and you're serving others, you're giving yourself away, that you actually find that deepest need met of being refreshed, of being satisfied. What is it for you? Where's the Lord inviting you to trust him with your need so that you can come under somebody else? Maybe like me, it's time. I know there's a lot of overscheduled people, a lot of demands in this room. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's just your energy. Some area where you're trying to control something where Jesus says, let it go. Let me handle that. And you go serve that person. So the Lord takes care of our needs so that we can give ourselves away. He also takes care of our identity. I think one of the scariest things about submitting is this thought that will I lose my identity? Because if I humble myself and I come under somebody else, what if they don't value me? What if they don't cherish me? The Lord says, I'll take care of that too. He he gives us this deeply rooted sense of identity, of being loved, of being cherished, of being a child. He says to us, you're gonna inherit my kingdom. Your identity is hidden with God in Christ. It's profoundly safe. We actually need that to go out and to serve others because other people are not always gonna treat us well. They're not always going to say thank you, even the ones we love. Sometimes they'll just come to expect it. You'll, you've, you know this experience where you feel like you've done something incredibly selfless for someone and they just skip right over it, expect it like you should have just done that, and you're thinking, did you not just see that self-sacrifice? <laughs> Sometimes it's worse than that, though. Sometimes they really begin to treat us as a lower person. They are not valuing us. doesn't matter. doesn't matter when you know to whom you belong. You can keep coming under another for their good. The night before his own death, Jesus washed the dirty feet of his disciples. It's a servant's job. It's a slave's job. But Jesus does it. And in his gospel, John chapter 13, we get this insight into the psychology of Jesus, if you will that helps us understand how it worked for him to do this profound act of submission. John writes, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. 
And he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. How did Jesus do this profound act of coming under? Because he knew who he was. He knew he'd come from God. He knew he was going back to God. He knew that God had given him all things and so he could give his life away. Too often it's a lack of confidence, it's a lack of self-worth that keeps us from freely serving others. We fear mistreatment. We fear what others might think of us or how they might treat us, and those are legitimate concerns. The only way to assuage those concerns is the love of God. It is to know that we are loved and so that we can go in love. It is to know that our feet have been washed and so we can stoop down and wash the feet of others. So we've seen power. We've seen freedom of submission. Third, I want to look at the limitations of submission. Much of the time, we're called to submit even when it's difficult. But other times, a line gets crossed and we should no longer submit. It takes a lot of wisdom to know the difference. So many times in our lives, we're going to be called to submit to a person or to an institution who is not kind, who is not wise, who is not godly. They do not have our best interest in mind. So maybe you're in a marriage and your spouse is not a Christian. They don't claim any of this stuff. They don't care. Maybe they are a Christian, but sadly, they're very controlling or they're very selfish. They're looking out for their own needs, not for yours. Maybe you're in a work situation and you have a boss and that boss makes really bad decisions. It's not a very good manager. Very difficult for you and for others to submit to their leadership. Or maybe you feel like that about an institution like the government or a church. You don't like how something's being done, how things are being run and so you say, well, I'm not gonna participate. I'm not gonna submit to that. So do we continue even when it's difficult? even when we're not being treated well, even when someone's not a competent leader or is not very godly? Well, generally speaking, yes, we do. Yes, we continue to submit. Why? Because that's the way of Christ. Jesus didn't submit to us because we were worthy of it. He didn't stoop down and wash our feet because we deserved it. The way of Jesus is to suffer in our love. Much of the time, when we serve someone else, they won't recognize it. They won't thank us. They won't necessarily return the favor, but we keep on coming under them to lift them up. If they're in a position of authority or leadership, we keep coming under that to bless them, to promote shalom. Now, as we do that, we pray a lot. We pray for ourselves, for the the strength to keep doing it, but we also pray for them, that God would give that person a new vision of serving, a new vision of what it means to have authority that God would humble them with his love. But in general, we continue to submit even in the face of mistreatment. But there are exceptions. There are times where we stop submitting. Let me give two categories for those exceptions. First, when submitting becomes destructive for us or for others. When it becomes destructive. So in a marriage, if a husband is abusive towards his wife, she is not called to continue to submit to that. 
If someone is in an abusive situation, what they need is to get safe and to get help. You are not called to continue to submit to that destructive behavior. That's true in marriage, that's true with children, that's true in a church, any type of relationship. Now, I'm not talking about just kind of normal mistreatment of getting your feelings hurt. I'm talking about serious abuse, physical, emotional, sexual. If it becomes destructive of you or of somebody else, you get out of that relationship, at least temporarily. And perhaps in the mercy of God, he can restore it, he can build back trust, and you can come back into it and you can practice submission again. But if there's abuse, you're not called to submit to that. So that's an exception. Second category of abuse is being led into sin. The apostles called the church to submit to governing authorities. And at the time they wrote that, the governing authorities was Rome. Hardly a godly government. You think our government is bad. But when that government said that the apostles and Christians had to bend their knee to Caesar as Lord, they said, no, we won't do that. Honor Caesar? Yes. Respect Caesar? Yes. Submit to his governing authority in many things? Yes. But worship him as Lord? No. A line has been crossed. We will not do that. So if your boss says, hey, listen, you're a team player. You're awesome in this company. I just want you to just fudge the numbers a little bit to make our financial reports look better or, or to promote that sale. Just don't, don't tell the, the customer everything about the product. You say, no, I won't do that. I will not do that. That's a sin. If your spouse forbids you from going to worship, from worshiping God, you can respectfully say, I will not do that. I will res- submit to you in many areas, but not that one. If a parent tells a child to do something that's sinful, the child should not obey. Sometimes it's really clear cut. An issue is black and white. Other times it's gray. And it'll take a lot of wisdom a lot of prayer, a lot of um, discernment and counsel from others in order to know what God's will is. Do I submit or do I stop submitting? So that's the power, that's the freedom, that's the limitations of submission. And then finally, I want to look at this practice of mutual submission. Paul's going to look at a, a lot of different relationships, but he starts with this sort of saying it's for everyone. Ephesians 5, verse 21, submitting to one another. So everybody can practice submission with everybody. It doesn't have to involve authority or different roles. It's just coming under another for their good. You can practice it with a friend, with a stranger, with a family member. You can especially practice it in the church community. And I think that's what Paul has in mind as he's writing to churches that everyone in the church, regardless of their role or status, would be submitting their life, their time, their energy, their resources, their love for the good of others and for the good of the community. We see a need, we want to meet it. We see someone who's down, we want to get down. We want to stoop down and come under them. If everyone is doing this, the result is this incredibly beautiful community of Christ-likeness. It's a church that reflects Jesus in his service and in his love. Have you ever heard that illustration of the difference between heaven and hell? Both heaven and hell involve this great, magnificent feast around a table. And everyone, regardless of heaven and hell, is invited to partake and to enjoy it. But the only way to eat the feast is with this special fork that's four feet long. Well, with a utensil that length, there's no way that you could feed yourself. But when you go down to hell and you watch them around this table, that's what they're trying to do. 
They're all trying to feed themselves and nobody can and so they're starving and the feast is going to waste. And you go up to heaven and everyone is serving the person across the table for them and all are satisfied. Well, friends, as the church, we don't have to wait till heaven to fill out that picture. Because of the Spirit, we can already begin to work that out. We can embody this mutual submission right now and what a testimony that would be to the world that desperately needs examples of this kind of inner working of relationships. We often look back at the early church, we we read the book of Acts, and we idealize it. Well, we should not idealize it because it was uh, a difficult time and there were lots of problems. But one of the descriptions of the early church that comes to us through Acts is this picture of mutual submission. It doesn't use that word, but that's what it is. People were laying down their lives for the good of others and for the good of the community. And often it was their material resources. So we read in Acts 2, 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It's a great picture of mutual submission. Hey, I'm gonna take what the Lord has given me and instead of using it to bless me, I'm going to bless others with it, knowing God's gonna take care of me. That's a type of submission. But it doesn't stop with material resources. It can look so many different ways. Whenever God shows us how we can come under another for their good, that's mutual submission. Counting others more important than ourselves, looking not only to our needs, but also to the needs of others. So we were singing that song, Surrender All. It, it just caught me how appropriate that was. And sometimes it's, it's so easy to, to say to Jesus, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus. But then Jesus says, thank you. And I want you to go do that same thing for somebody else. I want you to surrender yourself to the life of somebody else. So friends, who is that for you today? Yeah, it's lots of people, but to go out of here with one person, one relationship, and saying, what, what does that look like, Christ, for me to surrender all to you and to them for their good? Let's pray.